0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Happy summer. It's good to uh, be able to be outside and enjoy. I said that to someone earlier this week, happy summer to them. And they came back and said to me, this isn't summer yet. And then I kind of like, oh, what do you mean? And they're like, well, it actually gets a lot warmer than this. And I'm like, oh, No. Anyway, it's good to be with you all this morning. Hope you're enjoying your Memorial um, Day weekend. We've been enjoying our time outside, just, I don't know, four or five minutes walk from our house in our neighborhood. We have this little park with a splash pad, which is just phenomenal for us. You know, where we come from, having water come out of the concrete is, doesn't happen. And so we're just really taking advantage of, of things like that and, yeah, really enjoying our time here. It's been awesome to, to be here. Good to see all of you this morning. One of the things I wanted to share with you this morning is uh, one of my favorite things Uh, to do. And one of those things to do, I kind of lean more introverted. I like to listen to podcasts, Uh, you know, put, you know, my AirPods in and just find a good podcast to listen to. I find it's a great way just to learn and kind of pick up what people are talking about, what people are reading and so on and so forth. One of the most interesting podcasts though, and one of the most encouraging podcasts I've listened to all year uh, was a recent episode of a podcast called Gospel Bound. Uh, gospel bounds a podcast kind of produced uh, by TGC the gospel coalition and in this most recent uh, one of the most recent episodes of gospel bound the host Colin Hansen was interviewing a professor Dr. Molly Worthen and Dr. Molly Worthen is someone who is an academic she's brilliant she's intelligent she's written a lot but she's grown up kind of in and around kind of the church but was never a christian Someone who is more skeptical, someone who's more agnostic, someone who really didn't want to have anything to do, at least personally, with Jesus. Though she has written quite a bit on religion and American evangelicalism in particular. And in this episode, I encourage you if you get a chance to go listen to it uh, this week or whenever you get a chance, Dr. Worthen talks about kind of some of the things that God has been doing in her life over the past year as she has begun to, kind of this is kind of how I think she would put it, begin, she began to doubt her doubts she began to be skeptical of her own skepticism. And it reminded me of something, and just to kind of put a name to it, that people way smarter than me have, have named, but it's, it's this very idea. That whether you're religious or non-religious, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, we all live with this sense of doubt. We all have questions and concerns and at least moments and seasons in our life where we might on one hand say we have faith, and on the other hand, have questions and doubts in our own skepticism. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. So if you're a Christian, maybe you've had these moments where you believe, you trust, you, you love and adore Jesus, and at the same time, there's moments and seasons in your life where you kind of question and wonder, is this, what is this whole thing really about? And for those of us who maybe identify not as a Christian, you're skeptical, you're agnostic, whatever the case might be, there's still a sense that while you may be skeptical on one hand, maybe you wonder at times, is this really real or could this be real? Could this Jesus thing actually have some truth to it? It's what the philosopher Charles Taylor has, has called this idea of being in a cross pressured moment, meaning this, that we live in this cultural moment where on one hand there's this idea where we all, if you're religious, especially have, have faith to a certain degree. You believe, you trust, you, you, you worship a deity of some, someone or something. And at the same time, there's these moments where we have doubt. The the pressure of both faith and doubt begins to build upon one another, and we live in this kind of cross-pressure moment, again, for both the religious and the non-religious. That's why James K.A. Smith, kind of commenting on Charles Taylor's work, says, we're all Thomas now. What he means by that, of course, is Thomas. You know, the disciple, I mean, and the poor guy, right? Like, all he wanted to do was touch Jesus' wounds and see the scars, And for the rest of human history, we call him Doubting Thomas. But James Smith says we're all Thomas now, whether you're religious or non-religious. And it gets at this idea that, especially for those of us who are Christians, we can go through these seasons of both having faith and doubt mixed together, like in a blender. But sometimes what we're told is that if we are to come to Jesus, if we're to actually place our faith in him, that faith better be rock solid. That faith better be airtight. The the, the I's dotted, the T's crossed. You better ace that theological exam in order to come to faith in Jesus. Mark 5 puts a severe dent in that way of thinking. You know, if you're just joining us this morning, we're so glad you're here. We just finished last week a teaching series through the life of Joseph. Next week, we begin our summer series through the book of Psalms. But for this week, we wanted to take a one-week pit stop in Mark 5. Why? Because I want to show you that you can come to Jesus with less than perfect faith. I want to show you how Jesus responds to those who have fragile faith with both gentleness and authority. And for us, for all of us here in this room, whether you're religious or not, whether you're a Christian or not, the invitation is fairly simple. I just wanna boil this down into kind of two main points as we navigate this text, is that the invitation is to come with a sense of expectation, number one, and number two, a sense of openness. Expectation and openness. So let's take a look, Mark five, if you have your Bible, starting in verse 21 taking a look at this idea of coming with expectation, with doubts, despair, desperation and all, coming to Jesus with a sense of expectation. Verse 21 says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter... Is at the point of death, come lay your hands on hers that, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, notice a few things. Notice the text tells us Jairus is described as, quote, a ruler of the synagogue or one of the rulers of the synagogue. And this is kind of letting us know, letting you and, I, you and me, the reader, know that Jairus is someone of pretty importance in this culture. He's a religious leader. He's someone who more than likely has a good, if not great, reputation. But here, all of that gets kind of thrown out the window. Jairus just comes. It doesn't really matter what his reputation is, but just falls at the feet of Jesus and implores him and says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her. Jairus comes, falls at, at the feet of Jesus, falls flat on his face with this sense of desperation, with this sense of expectation that Jesus you're the only one who can bring healing to my daughter. Jairus brings nothing to the table. He doesn't come with any sort of like, this is what you have to do in a sense of like, I'm going to tell you Jesus. No, he just brings nothing but his desperation and expectation before Jesus. And likewise, the woman in the story does something similar. Take a look verse 24 the text again tells us he went with him that's or jesus going with Jairus the great crowd follows him throngs about him and then verse 25 there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not and it was no better but rather grew worse i mean just imagine for a moment what it would be like to have a condition like this for over a decade, for 12 years. I mean, you're going to doctors, you're seeking out answers, you're spending the money that you have, and yet the text reminds us and tells us that she is not getting better, she's only getting worse. She's at the end of her rope. She's beginning to to question, to, to worry, to doubt. Is there ever going to be a solution? Is there ever going to be an answer to the problems of my life? Is there ever a way that I can actually get better? And the text reminds us and tells us, verse 28, or verse 27, sorry, she heard the reports about Jesus. And notice the text tells us she comes up from behind. Compare and contrast that with Jairus for a moment. Jairus, remember, falls flat right in front of Jesus, flat right on his face in front of him. But here, the woman comes up from behind. Why? Well, a woman with this condition would have more than likely suffered from just a tremendous amount of shame, a tremendous amount of isolation, and does not have the respectability that Jairus has in this culture. And so she kind of slowly navigates her way through the crowd not trying to draw attention to herself. And we read on in the text that she just is thinking to herself, if I only just touch the edge of his garment, I could be made well. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to really show myself. I don't really want to present fully who I am because perhaps there's shame that she's dealing with it in her own life. And she presses through the crowd. She comes up from behind Jesus. Verse 29, after she's touched the garment, immediately the flow of blood dries up and she felt in her body She was healed of her disease. But notice verse 30, Jesus feels something in his own body, right? Perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd. And I love this part. Who touched my garments? I mean, Jesus knows, but Jesus is actually wanting to invite his disciples, I think, into this process. This is a teaching moment that Jesus is using. Who touched my garments? And then the disciples, look what they say. I love this. He says, though they say, what do you mean? You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? I mean, imagine the scene again. I mean, it's crowded, like crowded as crowded can get, like you're at the Omaha Zoo kind of (laughs) crowded, right? And it's just a hot mess. There's a ton of people around, but Jesus perceives that something or someone has touched Jesus in such a way that power, the text says, has gone out from him. Jesus notices something about the way this woman has touched him. Because I'm sure there's probably dozens upon dozens of people that are bumping into Jesus, brushing up against his shoulder, bumping up against his side that are technically touching Jesus, but not actually encountering Jesus. This text, this moment in the story is a reminder, is a picture, of It's very possible, friends, to kind of be in the crowd, to be in the crowd around Jesus, but not actually encounter him, to not actually know him. It's very possible to be next to Jesus in some sort of kind of way, but not actually have the faith and the trust to actually encounter him. This woman touches Jesus, as we're going to find out later in this story, has this profound, life-changing encounter with Jesus. But question for you. What are we to make of this woman kind of reaching out and touching the garment of Jesus? Like, what is up with that? Like, is that an example for you and me to kind of draw on? Is this an example of, like, bold faith? Or is this an example of her just kind of being superstitious? I mean, if you read a stack of books on Mark five, you're going to kind of get kind of one of two main sort of answers to that question. There's some that are just going to look at this woman and say, she's kind of being more or less superstitious. She's maybe heard some of the stories about Jesus. He's might've heard of other kind of miracle workers, other people that have done healing in and around the area. And perhaps she just thinks, Oh, Jesus is another one of those kinds of miracle workers. And she's maybe a bit superstitious. She's willing to try anything and says, if I just, you know, come near this miracle worker, perhaps this is the one that's going to solve all my problems. Or on the other hand, this woman has profound biblical faith. And here's what I mean. Because if you kind of think about it for a moment, Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, more than likely was wearing what would be considered like a prayer shawl or a shawl that he would just have kind of dripped or, or drooping around his shoulders with these tassels and these things on the corners. This goes all the way back to Numbers 15, something that God had commanded all the Jewish men to wear. And as the Old Testament story progresses, there's a prophecy at the end of the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter four, that says that when Messiah comes, that there would be healing in Messiah's wings. Now, the word for wing in Hebrew is the same word for corner that's used to describe the prayer shawls that the Jewish men would wear. So perhaps this woman actually believes the text. Perhaps this woman actually has robust biblical faith and believes the promises and believes the prophecies that when Messiah comes, there will be healing in his wings. But, but, The text actually doesn't tell us either way. We're left to kind of ponder and and wonder and think about that. And here's why this ambiguity matters. Is she being superstitious? Does she have robust biblical faith? Here's why this ambiguity matters. How many of you have rock-solid, perfect biblical faith? Like no hands are going up, right? We live in this blender, this ambiguity of like, We wanna have faith, we do have faith, and at the same time, we have questions. We have doubts. We don't know a lot of things. And yet Jesus still invites us to come to him. Let me put it to you like this. How many of you as Christians, you believe, you trust, you adore Christ, yet you've either maybe are in right now or have been recently in a season, a time of questioning? of doubting, of skepticism. And your faith is kind of mixed like in a blender between a little bit of faith and a little bit of doubt together. Maybe that's you this morning or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't identify as a follower of Christ and you're more or less kind of your default is to be skeptical towards the things of Jesus, the things of Christianity. And at the same time, if you're honest, You've had a moment or two where you wonder to yourself, what if this Jesus thing is actually true? You've wondered, you've thought, maybe even, I kind of want it to be true. Again, there's that little bit of faith kind of mixed in with your doubt a little bit. And what this passage is reminding us, what this passage is showing us is that Jesus welcomes those who have less than perfect faith. Jesus welcomes those who have a sense of expectancy, even though their faith isn't completely rock solid, airtight, and perfect. And these are the kinds of people that Jesus wants to reveal his character, his gentleness, and his authority to. Which leads me to my second point. If the first one is coming to Christ with a sense of expectancy despite our less than perfect faith. The second point I want us to see is that we're invited to come with a sense of openness. That even though we might be plagued with doubt and despair mixed with our faith, that we're still invited to be open to the work that Christ wants to do. Take a look at verse 31 with me in the text. It reads this, and his disciples again said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, note this phrase, the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, again, note this word, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is, I think, one of my favorite moments in this story. The woman Her initial plan was just to kind of touch and run, if you will. Not to make this a big deal. Not to kind of draw attention to herself. She just wanted to touch Jesus' garments. But Jesus, in this moment, is going to touch her whole life. That Jesus is going to invite this woman to be open to more than what she was expecting. To be open to something different than what she initially thought was going to happen. To be open to something new and profound. And that's why we read in this this moment in this passage that she tells Jesus, quote, the whole truth. That perhaps this woman didn't realize that I could be completely vulnerable in the presence of this man, Jesus, and that Jesus is still going to respond with gentleness and kindness and grace and compassion. Had the woman just kind of gotten away with touching and running, she would not have experienced This deeper intimacy, this deeper connection with Christ in this moment of actually being so loved and cared for while still revealing the whole truth about her. That had she been closed off to the further work that Christ wanted to do, she would not have experienced this even deeper intimacy and love that she has and is experiencing in this moment. And notice the tenderness with which Christ responds to this woman, that word daughter. Think about all of the names and all of the labels that this woman would have likely been labeled in over the past 12 years. Outcast, unworthy, unclean, sinner. And here at this juncture of the story, Jesus speaks words of identity and affirmation and love into her brokenness. That Jesus responds to kind of her mixed bag of faith with a new identity and a fresh vision for who she is. Friends, don't you see that this is who Christ is? That this is how Christ responds to those who are broken and hurting, who have questions, who aren't certain words of life, words of identity, words of power that are going to lead to further transformation in her life. See, Jesus wants this woman to realize that, I want to hold not just a small part of your story, but all of your story, pain and all. That Jesus is inviting this woman to be more open, to trust in deeper and more profound ways. And Jesus says these words, daughter. And think about this in front of the entire crowd. For everyone else to hear, this woman is a daughter. Someone who's loved and cared for. But one of those people in the crowd is Jairus. And what's Jairus thinking as this is happening? I mean, Jairus, like... He came to Jesus with expectancy. He came to Jesus with a sort of boldness, if you will, falling at his at his face. And what's he doing in this moment? You know, if you ever watch Ted Lasso, there's that line that Ted Lasso says, it's the hope that kills. And what he's getting at is there's those times in life where you place your hope in something or someone, and then there's this disappointment, and then it's just like it can be so deflating. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but maybe that's perhaps what Jairus is thinking in this moment. That that Jairus is going, I did all the right things. I came to you with with expectation. I came to you kind of bowing down, submitting to you. I came to you bringing nothing. You were on your way to doing what we were hoping for, what we were praying for. And then you pause for this woman. Jesus delays. It's kind of like what the great theologian Gandalf the Grey says, a, a wizard it's never late. He arrives precisely when he means to, right? That Jesus is kind of on his own timetable. And Jesus is kind of doing things in his own sort of way. But Jairus, just like this woman, is being invited to trust in a more open and a deeper way. That Jairus, he, he, he came with this sense of, this is what I was hoping for. Yet Jesus is going to draw him into a deeper trust and deeper intimacy. See, friends, we live in this cultural moment, again, full of doubt and despair. And one of sort of the mantras in our cultural moment that's filled with doubt is this line of like, we need to be more open-minded. That if you're in a moment where you're deconstructing your faith or you have doubts about your faith, kind of the the mantra that's given is just be more open-minded, just explore another religion, explore another idea, throw away with what you've grown up with and find something new. Be more open-minded. How many of you have heard that before? It's Pretty common. And what I want to say is that, like that language and that idea of being open-minded actually, I would say stems from the Bible, stems from Jesus and stories like this. Because it's in a story like this, Jesus is inviting both the women, the woman and Jairus to be more open-minded, to be more open to the work that he wants to do in their lives. For Jairus, if he just remains closed off to anything else Christ wants to do, he's not going to experience the resurrection that Jesus wants to bring in his story. And for the woman if she remains closed off to speaking the whole truth, she's not going to experience the love and the affection and the gentleness that Jesus will show her. Jesus is saying to both Jairus and this woman, it's because I love you, I want you to be more open, to share the whole truth. It's because I love you, I want you to be more vulnerable. It's because I love you, Jairus, there's gonna be a delay. See, friends, it's often hard for us to feel and experience the love of Christ when we impose onto God our sense of what God ought to do. When we impose our sense of, in Jairus' case, God, you have to work according to my timetable, according to my time frame. But Jesus is so gracious to us in those moments. He's so gentle and so kind, and he draws us into deeper intimacy with himself and says, no, no, no. It's because I care for you. It's because I love you that I want you to be open to perhaps a different timetable, a different way of doing things, a new way of doing things. See, friends, it's the self-righteous posture that imposes our sense of, this is what God has to do. It's the self-righteous posture that remains closed off from actually sharing the whole truth with Christ. It's the self-righteous posture that says, God, you have to do things in my way, in my timing. But Jesus in this story is inviting not only Jairus and this woman, but by extension us, to see the real open-mindedness is being open to the work that Christ wants to do, whatever that might be. Whatever expectations we might have, the real way to be open-minded is to be open to whatever Jesus wants to do in your life. See, we've seen in this text that we can come to Christ with this sense of expectation. We can come to Christ with a deep sense of openness. But the question, though, that I want us to wrestle with as we land is how do we become those kinds of people? How do we become those kinds of people that can come to Christ, that want to come to Christ with expectation and openness, even with our doubts, even with our despair, even with our desperation and struggle? Well, I think, friends, the answer to that question is actually found right in our text. Verse 35, if you have your Bible still. While he was still speaking, Mark writes, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said, notice who Jesus is speaking to, okay? Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he's speaking to Jairus these important words, do not fear, only believe. Again, think about perhaps the disappointment Jairus is struggling with, and someone comes up to Jesus and the group as they're walking and they they tell Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus doesn't speak to the people who came with that message. He speaks to Jairus. Did you notice that? He speaks these words, just four words in the original language. No fear, believe only. He speaks these words to Jairus. Why? Well, if you're Jairus and you receive the, this news, your daughter's dead, this is the moment where you begin to question. This is the moment where you begin to have your doubts. This is your moment where you begin to be skeptical of who Jesus is, and you thought he was this great miracle worker. You thought he was this one with authority that had power over creation who could bring healing to your daughter, and now you're being told it's too late. But Jesus speaks into this moment with words of authority and with words of power, do not fear, only believe. Because isn't it easy, friends, to, as we contend to at times, sit with doubt for too long and sit with despair for too long? Where does that inevitably lead? Oftentimes to more fear. Places of anxiety, places of worry, places of fear. And Jesus, with authority and with gentleness, speaks words of life. No fear, only belief. And as the story continues, Jesus goes into the room where the daughter has passed away. is laying there on her bed and says these profound words because it's kind of raised to our attention in the text because it's not translated for us. Talitha kumi. And you read the literature on Mark 5, you're going to find that Many people see that these words are, on one hand, really profound and special words, and at the same time, they're not so special. They're pretty ordinary. Because these are the exact words, more than likely, that Jairus, this girl's daughter or this girl's father, would have said probably the morning before Honey, sweetie, it's time to get up. Just ordinary words. Talitha Kumi just your run-of-the-mill kind of greeting that a father would have often given her daughter to maybe get ready for school in the morning. And Jesus says those exact same words, and here's why these words are actually pretty important and pretty special. Because Jesus stares death in the face, and to Jesus, death is no big deal. It's just in every day occurrence in the sense that it's 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 not something that he has to struggle with it's not something that has to get all worked up about and he just says the same words her father would have said the day before talitha it's 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 just time to get up because what christ is doing here in this moment of the story is but a mere foreshadow of the work that christ is going to do later on in the gospel That he's gonna go to the cross in your place and in my place. He's gonna defeat sin and he's gonna be resurrected from the dead, demonstrating and showing his authority, his power over death. And that it's because we both see that Christ has not only the the authority and the power over death, but also the gentleness and the tenderness, talitha kumi. I mean, friends, when you begin to see that, when you see both the authority and the gentleness mixed together, Why would you not want to come to him? Why would you not want to fall before him regardless of the questions and the doubts and the skepticism that you might have? Don't you see how good and and beautiful and how powerful Christ is? Don't you see that he's the one who has defeated death and yet can, and also handles our doubts and emotions and our skepticism? with kindness and gentleness, speaking words of life and authority into our story. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I was talking about Dr. Molly Worthen and kind of narrating a little bit of her journey over the past year, how she began to doubt her doubts and question the things that she was, always had assumed for her life. And towards the end of the interview, she begins to get very specific on what helped her become a follower of Jesus within the past year. Let me read to you what she said. She said what J.D., and J.D., just by way of reference, is one of the pastors that she had been talking with. What J.D. helped me to see was that it all stands or falls on the resurrection. And I could agree, I could agree to struggle with all the other questions. Like, they're important for sure, but they're not the main thing. I could agree to struggle with them. And that's what it's all about, Romans ten nine, right? I mean, if it's all about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that he rose from the dead, I had always conceived of myself as unusually open to the claims of Christianity, sincerely open. But I only realized in this process last summer that I had really not been open. And if the resurrection is true, I have to change my working hypothesis of the universe. You see what she's saying there? It's because Christ has defeated death. It's because Christ has risen and got up out of the grave she can trust. And she still has some questions. That her doubts and her questions and her skepticism does not prevent Christ from loving her and saving her. And so friends, I don't know where you might be this morning. Maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. Maybe your story is a story of, A long obedience in the same direction, great faithfulness. And if you're honest, you do have some questions or some doubts. The invitation is to come. To come and see both the authority and the beauty and the power of Christ and his gentleness and tenderness. And for those of us in the room who don't identify as a follower of Jesus, Perhaps you're beginning to wonder a little bit. Maybe this is true. What if this is true? Maybe you want this to be true. And I would say that the invitation is the same. It's to come to Christ. It's to come and to experience for yourself. To not just be a bystander in the crowd that's kind of, sort of near, but to actually reach out with whatever little faith you might have because it's not necessarily about your faith per se it's about who you place your faith in and the one that you're invited to place your faith in both has all power but is gentle and tender with your questions with your doubts and with your worries so father we thank you for the privilege and the joy of getting to be together we thank you for the the gift that it is to be here on a Sunday morning to remind ourselves of who you are and your good news. And so, God, for each person here in this room, I pray for each one of us, myself included, that with whatever questions and worries and doubts we might have, Lord, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to come to you that we individually and as a church, as a family, would experience your power and your gentleness together. And that you would bring us to places of deeper trust, deeper openness, and recognizing and experience your goodness along the way. So Father, we praise you, we thank you. Thank you again for the gift of being together. And it's your name we pray, amen.